Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive and real and active and life-changing. God, we open up our hearts to you today, I included. Open my heart to you that you would speak to me. And not just with words I can hear, but words that transform our hearts. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's our scripture, John 1, 14, 16 to 18. The word became a human and lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory that belongs to the one to the only Son of the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. Because he was full of grace and truth, from him we all received one gift after another. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, is very close to the Father, and he has shown us what God is like. Last week, Norfei shared with us a, a powerful message. And there was one statement she said that has been going over and over in my head all week. And so I want us to have a look at this today. Look at that. Where's Norfei? There she is. Up in bright lights. Norfei's quote. You're famous now. We're quoting Norfei. Grace and truth are all about love. Grace and truth are all about love. Take a moment to consider that. Because when she said that to last week, I felt she, it felt like she was saying it to me. Uh, but it was just a, a moment where I've been thinking about it all week. And the message I'm sharing today is because of this statement. The fact is you can't have grace without love. In the early church, the word grace was basically uh, intertwined with love. They used it, they exchanged grace for love and love for grace. They didn't separate the two because they believed that grace was an expression of God's love. As we've heard over the weeks, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. But he does that because he loves us. Now we need to remember that it's not because God has pity on us and he feels sorry for us that he loves us. He loves us because that's what he's like. He loves us because he genuinely sees us as his creation and as his children. And it's that love that drives his grace that he has given to us. But at the same time, we've been talking about truth. And it's easy to see grace as love, but how is truth love? This is the, the challenge. And a few weeks ago, I shared about truth. And I talked about the fact that when John was talking about truth, and that Jesus coming in truth, what he was talking about is the fact that there is nothing hidden anymore about God. That Jesus is the final revelation of God. As, this, as our passage says, if you know, want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. That's the simple phrase, that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God, the Father. And so up until this time, 
people had seen God as their creator, they'd seen God as the judge, and, and they'd seen him as the one who they needed to please. Isn't that right? They needed to keep happy. And so they would see God as, what must I do not to make God mad at me? Or what must I not do to make sure God doesn't get mad at me, that he'd be pleased with me? But the, the, our passage tells us that Jesus comes as the full revelation of God. And that tells me that all of a sudden we're seeing God in a way that we've never seen him before. And so when it comes to truth, the truth we discover in Jesus is that above all things, God is love. Above all things, God is love. That's the truth Jesus came to reveal to us. Not that he is love in what he does alone. You need to understand that God is not love because of just what he does. God is love because of who he is. You cannot separate God from love. The Bible teaches us very clearly that God is love. It's not something he does, it's who he is. This is the amazing thing about God as love. That at this moment when God comes to earth to show us what he is like in Jesus, he doesn't come as an instrument of judgment. He comes as an instrument of love. Now this idea of grace and truth is all about love. This is so critical for us to understand and get a hold of. Because if we understand this, that grace and truth is all about love, then we actually begin to understand God's heart and plan for mankind. You see, to fully understand this, we need to go back to when Jesus entered the world and the Bible tells us that he came at just the right time. At, at the right time in history, he came into the world. So let's have a look at the world that Jesus came into. Because the world that Jesus came into was a world that was ruled by the Romans. It was a world under domination. It was a world being controlled by a, a, a powerful force, the greatest force the world had ever seen up until that time. And the Romans controlled everything. Now at the same, so you have to think that, so the Romans were the rulers, all these other nations were under their rule, so they were in captivity to Rome. So the world at the time Jesus came in was a very segregated world. It was a world very much about self-preservation. It was a world that, dare I say, was a place that was devoid of love because what people were concerned with the most is looking after themselves and looking after those that were connected to them. So if we explain this a little bit further, it was all about looking after your group or your place. So it was very segregated and separated. Now there's a really interesting thing about this world because they had this concept of God that I must do what pleases him and what make sure I don't make him unhappy, otherwise he'll punish me. So this idea was there. So when it came to things like sin and sickness and evil, they had a real concept that all these things were contagious, that you had to be really careful 
that you didn't catch them, that you didn't connect with people who could spread them to you. Now that makes a lot of sense when you think about illnesses and sicknesses and things like leprosy. Okay, stay away from them because if you catch leprosy, you could die. And so that, that makes sense. But this, this idea wasn't just to do with physical sicknesses. It also was to do with spiritual and relational matters as well. So think about this. I don't know if you realize the significance of today, but today is 12 months since we had our first service in lockdown where we had to, you all were home and we were video streaming to your homes. Do you remember that? That was literally 12 months today. We had our first, our first video church service, online church service. How incredible is that? Can you believe it's 12 months ago? feels like three years ago. I don't know about you. But in that time, in this last 12 months as being a part of a pandemic, we've come to understand about social isolation. One and a half metres, everywhere you go, check in with your phone. Make sure you check in. Make sure you sanitise. Don't shake hands. Stay 1.5 metres apart. And we've done this, obviously, because of COVID. You don't want, don't want to catch the virus. Who's had their vaccine yet? Anyone? Yes, yeah, a couple of health workers here. They have already which is cool. But we've learned about that. So this type of social isolation we've become aware of. But in the time Jesus came to earth, social isolation was a real thing. It, wasn't some, it was something they lived with day to day. And it wasn't just about physical illnesses and diseases. It was also about not spending time with the wrong sort of people. Not making sure you didn't spend time with people outside of your family group. It was an isolation, social isolation that was not just physical, but it was about relational and spiritual matters as well. They had rules that said you don't mix with anything that's unclean. So, and for them, anything unclean was anything from a leper to someone who wasn't the same nationality as you. So a person who was a foreigner, so if you were a Jew, you didn't mix with Samaritans or Romans. But it could even go as far as something unclean could be a woman from, that's not from your family is someone who's unclean. Or someone who's unclean could be um, anyone who didn't interpret Scripture the way you did. And so you, didn't, you socially isolated yourself from those sort of, sorts of people to make sure you didn't catch what they had. I don't know how you catch female stuff, but maybe there is a way. Who knows? Um, let's move on. Did you like that, Daniela? Ah, oh, yeah, don't do that. But you can imagine a world like this. It's full of divisions. It's full of uh, staying away from the people that you shouldn't. You know, the communities were separated. It's not today we mix, we dwell amongst all sorts, we mix nationalities, we do. There was no. Mixing of marriages, of nationalities. A Jew didn't marry a Samaritan or a Roman or, uh, or any other nationality. They only married within their family line. Now, in our country and nation, you only have to go back a couple of generations where it was like that in our world here. You didn't have mixed marriages. That, but this is the thing. Jews didn't mix with Gentiles. It was a clear distinction. You socially isolated from Gentiles. Men didn't mingle with women who weren't part of their family. 
Slaves were looked down upon by free people. And, and they were only considered possessions, not even people. And if you were physically or intellectually disabled, you, in most cases you were disowned from your family because you brought shame upon them. Because if you had a disabled child, that was a sign that God was not happy with you. And so many disabled and intellectually disabled children were discarded because they didn't want people to think that they were bad people. This is the world that they were part of. And this is the world that Jesus came into. You remember, this is the idea they had in their head that I want to keep myself pure. I want to keep myself right. I want to keep myself holy because if, if I don't, then God's going to be mad at me and he's going to do something, give me a sickness or do this or do that. And so the way I do that is socially isolate myself from anyone who I don't understand or agree with. And so they saw God as a God of judgment rather than a God of blessing. Sin was seen as something contagious that you needed to do everything in your power not to catch. This is the world. What sort of world is that? There's no love in a world like that. And, but this is the world Jesus came into. Church, this is where it gets exciting. This is where you can start to smile. You look all really serious right now. You can get excited about this. Because when Jesus came into this divided, broken and unloving world, guess what? He breaks all the rules. He breaks all the rules. This is why they couldn't understand Jesus. Because they couldn't get him. That Jesus comes full of grace and truth. But when he, he does it, he expresses God's kind of love. And this kind of love is a love that they had never seen before. A love that would break the rules of social isolation. And this is, this is, here's the incredible thing about Jesus. This is the amazing thing about him. And this is why people were so amazed by him. Because when he encountered someone who was sick, he would touch them. And guess what? He didn't get sick. But the person he touched was healed and made whole. Turned it on its head. When he mixed with sinners, the people no one else would mix with, the people like Zacchaeus, and he went to their house and had dinner with them and spent time with them, they're going, what is he doing mixing? Doesn't he know what sort of person this is? And he would mix with them. Did he become a sinner? Was he affected by them? No, but he changed their lives for good. Their lives were turned around and these people say, I'm going to sell all I, half of what I have and give it away to the poor. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Because they had encountered Jesus. Church, this is the power of the gospel. This is what the gospel is all about. This is the good news Jesus came to declare. And he declared it in his actions. Jesus came to reveal to us a God who loves us. A God who doesn't come to punish us, but a God that comes to rescue us. Not a God who comes to condemn us, as he says in John 3, but a God who comes to rescue us and save us and restore us back into who he created us to be. 
This is the good news of the gospel. This is what Jesus came to do. This is the power of the gospel. That Jesus encountered people that were sick, people that were broken, people that were hurting, people that were sinners. And they didn't change him. He changed them. This is what it's all about. I want to share with you just quickly for today three stories that show this interaction powerfully. The first one is in Matthew 8, 1 to 3, and how Jesus broke the rules and he brought change to people's life. It says there, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Big no-no. But he reached out and touched him. These guys, you have to understand, they wore bells around their necks. The society they lived in in that day said, you've got to wear a bell and wherever you go, ring it so no one gets close to you. But Jesus allowed this man to get close to him, but not even that, he touched him. He touched him. And Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus touched someone who was physically unclean and they became clean. He didn't become unclean. Do you get the picture there? God wants to touch our lives and bring wholeness to our lives. He wants to touch us where we're at as we are. The second story is from Luke chapter 7, and this is a, an example of spiritual and relational uncleanness. It's a bit of a long story, but you'll get the, the picture. It's a powerful story of how Jesus crosses the boundaries and breaks the rules. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived, in, lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Can you see it? That's the world Jesus came into. Right there in that statement. If Jesus was a holy man of God, he would be not letting this woman anywhere near him for the fear that she would contaminate him with her sin. Next minute, he's going to be in bed with her or something like that would have been their mentality. So stay away from it. Get away from them because they're unholy. They're unclean. They're no good. This is the world that Jesus came into. And Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them 
will love him more. So, oops. Oops. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she, was poured, she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I will tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, just that statement by Jesus that about washing his feet, Simon for good reason didn't wash Jesus' feet because if he did that and if he kissed him on the cheek and if he put oil on his head, what he would be saying is, I'm a part of Jesus. Jesus is a part of me. We are in partnership together. We are a part of the same. I believe in what Jesus believes and he believes in me. So Simon didn't do that because he didn't want to catch the wrath of other Pharisees, but he also didn't do it because he was afraid that if he connected with Jesus, then he might make himself unclean if Jesus wasn't actually who Jesus said he was. But this woman saw who Jesus was and she was saying in her actions, I want to be a part of you, Jesus. I want what you are offering. I want the life that you give to people. I, I believe you are who you say you are. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus just didn't forgive her. He declared to her that she was saved. Isn't that incredible? No sinner's prayer or anything. She was saved because Jesus gave her grace by allowing her to sit at his feet. He could have said, no, don't do that. Don't. But he said, no, you can sit at your feet. And in your action that you want to be a part, I am actually giving you forgiveness and salvation. That breaks all the rules. It breaks all the rules, church. Their idea is I have to work hard, work hard, work hard to stay pure and do whatever I can to stay pure and hopefully then if, I'm, if I've done everything right and I take the right sacrifice to the temple, then I might be, God might be pleased with me. He might be happy with me. But Jesus shows us in both these examples that it's not about us, it's all about him. It's all about him as grace and truth. Church, as I said before, this is the good news of the kingdom. That God is love. And his love has driven him to rescue us, to save us, and that he has come to restore us back into relationship with him. When Jesus comes into a situation, he brings grace and truth in the form of love for the, those who are lost and broken. Jesus turns the tables on this idea that I have to be perfect to please God. But he says to us, come just as you are. Broken, sinful, damaged, 
with all your mistakes and let me exchange your brokenness for my healing, for my wholeness. You see, when we encounter God in his fullness, we won't be destroyed as they thought, but we will be transformed by his amazing love. This is revolutionary. This is what Jesus came to do. This is the love that drove him. This is that he would show grace to us to allow us to have, like he showed grace to this woman and allow her to touch his feet. And because of her actions then, she found salvation. Because of her faith to believe that Jesus was the answer to her need, she found salvation. She found forgiveness. I want to finish with one last story. And it's right at the end of Jesus' life. And it's in Luke 23 as Jesus is hanging on the cross. If you remember, when he hung on the cross, they hung him between two criminals. Two thieves, the Bible calls them. Now, thieves is not a strong enough word to describe these guys. Because you need to understand that the Romans did not crucify petty criminals. They did not crucify people that, that had stolen a loaf of bread or had done something like that, something that was small. They only crucified people who they declared were like terrorists. They were people who were revolutionaries. They were people who the Romans considered a danger to their way of life. See, these people were people that, that would um, band people together and, and attack the Romans at whatever chance they got in guerrilla-type warfare. So these guys were convicted for being murderers, basically. Whether they had actually murdered Romans themselves or conspired with other people to murder them, that's what they had done. So when the Romans hung Jesus on a cross between two of these thieves or terrorists or revolutionaries or whatever you want to call them, um, there's all different sorts of words that I can't think of right now, but... uh, they were saying, they were saying, Jesus is like these guys. And if you follow Jesus, then what's going to happen to you? You're going to end up on a cross like Jesus. This is the crazy thing. So Jesus is up there and what they're wanting to do in this, in this moment is they're wanting to tarnish his reputation. They're wanting to tarnish everything he's done and, and put him up against sinners, up against people that had done terrible things. And while he's hanging on the cross, one of those thieves says, oh, starts agreeing with the people on the ground and saying, yeah, you should be able to get yourself off of here. And the other one says, shut up. This man has done nothing wrong. He is an innocent man. We're guilty. This guy says, we're guilty. But he's done nothing wrong. And in that moment, he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says those powerful words, Today you will be with me in paradise. In that moment when they had tried to make Jesus into a thief, all of a sudden, he transforms the thief's life. And he gives him eternal life. Not long after they all died, 
But that thief received eternal life because he acknowledged who Jesus was. And Jesus was not tarnished by his reputation, but he was changed by who Jesus was. This is the amazing thing, that Jesus came to change lives. You know, there may be people even here today that you're tossing up whether you even want to keep following Jesus or you follow Jesus. Jesus wants you to know that he takes that which is broken and he wants to make it whole. And he does make it whole when you encounter him. Just like these two thieves, the one rejected him, the other one acknowledged him and he received eternal life. So what do all these situations tell us? Number one, they show us that Jesus is in the business of changing people's lives. And no, no matter where you're at today, you need to remember that. You need to remember that your brokenness, Jesus can take and he can turn it into wholeness and healing and a new life. So that's one thing we can take from this. But the second thing I believe is that they show us a pattern for us to follow as followers of Jesus. Just like Jesus, we are to be carriers of God's love. And we are to bring change to the world around us rather than being worried that the world around us will change us. You see, when we are touched by His love, we have to live differently, church. We can't be the same. And the world we live in has to be different because of us and because of Jesus in us. We are called to follow Jesus' example and love the world around us. I know in the early days when we were doing pop-up kitchen, people would be worried, oh, you know, should I, you know, some of these people have done terrible things and done bad stuff and involved in bad stuff. Should I be mixing with them? The reality is, of course we should, because that's what Jesus did. We should, because we're the change makers, not them. If we've got Jesus in us, we bring change to situations. We bring life, because we're carrying him in us. We're the ones who should be initiating the change. We have been called to live differently not by rules and regulations, not by social isolation, not by those things. We've been called to live by grace and truth. And the greatest way when we experience God's grace and truth in its fullness, what it does is it can't stay within us, but it has to be expressed from us. And the way it is expressed through us is by love, by loving our world by loving those around us, no matter where they're from or what they've done, that we would love them and love them unconditionally just like God loved us. I want to finish with one last scripture that I want you to reflect on and meditate on and take a moment to consider because I think this scripture sums up what God has called us to so powerfully. And it's in 1 John 4 verses 7 to 12. Where it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. 
For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And His love is brought to full expression in us. And His love is brought to full expression in us. Just take a moment to consider what this passage is saying to us. Maybe there's people in this place you need God's love afresh in your life. You need to make a fresh commitment to, to knowing His love and to inviting Him into your life. Maybe there's others here you need to make a fresh commitment to loving like God wants us to love. To loving everyone equally. To loving with grace and truth. Yeah, I'm sure across this room, I myself... I'm challenged to make a fresh commitment to love that way, to love as Jesus loved, a love that breaks the rules, a love that crosses the boundaries, a love that is not about me, but it's about others. And if you're in this place, no matter where you're at, and you say, that's the sort of love I want to practice, I want to invite you to stand with me and we're going to pray together and ask and invite God to help us love like He would love. So if you say, that's me, I want to love like God loved. I want to live in this kind of love. I want to show the world around me this kind of love. I'd ask you to stand with me today. And we're going to pray together to declare His goodness, to declare His way and to declare His grace. Come on, church, let's pray. Begin to invite Him and say, God, help me love like you. Help me love without boundaries. Help me love without rules. Help me love unconditionally. Come on. We declare it right now, God. We pray with all our hearts. God, help us to love like you loved. That you came into this world to love us, to rescue us, to save us, not to condemn us. And God, I pray that you would help us live free of this idea that... that uh, we have to do everything right, but the, the reality is what we have to do is to love right, to love like you love, to love with your heart and, and unconditionally that agape type love, that love 
where we love people no matter how they treat us, Lord God, that we would love each other no matter what we get from it. But it's all about you. It's all about loving like you love. God, that's our prayer. That's our heart. And we ask you this in Jesus' name.